Truly, God bless America. It is um, a wonderful country we have the privilege of living in. What happened 10 years ago, I think, shook uh, probably every single one of us to our core. Uh, just um, thinking about that uh, brings back some vivid, vivid memories of just what happened. And, um, you know, the, I was reading uh, one of the verses that was up on the, the video, and, and Brian found this video for us, thought it was, he and Shelley, I thought it was just a great thing that they placed up there on the board so that we could just remember in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, And my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive them their sin, and I will heal their land. I've been saying at every service, I don't know where our country is going. Um, it's, um, it's a difficult time, I think, this time in which we live. What's happening to our country? Where are we going are we truly a Judeo-Christian nation? Do we really and truly believe in the very foundations of what our forefathers have given to us and what is the Constitution of the United States of America? And, and do, we, do we consider this, the Bible, anymore as to be the very essence of who we are? And I think, you know, I don't know that we can kind of uh, push that upon our nation, but we certainly can push it upon our own lives. We can make it a a call within each of us individually to be all that God has called us to be. I want to tell you about a great privilege that I had last week. My wife uh, suggested that, um, that I take the week off. So where are we going? Nowhere. The kids are coming in and, and um, our, our, our son-in-law and our daughter and our two grandchildren are coming. And it's our, our grandson's seventh birthday will be Saturday, last Saturday. And she said, why don't you take the week off? And I said, no, I'd, I'd rather not. I, I don't, I'm here in town. I might as well do it. She said, well, it's going to be very difficult for you to study. They're going to be staying with us, you know. <laughs> and so she reasoned with me and convinced me that it was probably the best thing to do. And so I, I called up uh, Rob Selleck, and I asked him to, to consider giving us a message for the weekend. And he's kind enough to do that. And so our family was together, and <clears throat> we had a... A party for our, our grandson, his seventh birthday was last Saturday, and we just had a wonderful time. And, and then I had the privilege that you have, and I had forgotten. I had forgotten what it was like to come to church as a family. And just to sit in there and in the, in the pews and sit where you normally would sit and, and let the Lord of God minister to you. And I had forgotten what that felt like. And I was sitting in the back of the church with my wife at my left and my son-in-law to her left and my, our daughter to his left and our two grandkids were in child care. And I reflected at that moment while we were singing, I reflected that my wife and I know the Lord and our son-in-law knows and loves the Lord and wants to plant a church and our, our daughter loves the Lord and our, our two grandkids both have asked Jesus Christ into their hearts and have come to trust in him as, as well as they know how at their age at seven and five. And then I reflected across town where my daughter-in-law works at a church as in women's ministry and she knows and loves the Lord and my son knows and loves the Lord and both of their children, our grandchildren, both know and love the Lord. And I sat in the back of the church and I started to just weep thanking the Lord for how kind, how kind he is that our 
immediate family are all believers. We will be with them forever and ever and eternity. It just made me so thankful for all that, that we have. And then sitting there and then listening to Rob Selleck preach the message on James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. On faith and works. And what does that mean to us individually? And I told him afterwards, and I reminded him when I called him, what a great job he did, but I told him if he had an altar call, I would have run up here. I recognized so deep within my soul, so my inefficiencies, my, my failure as a, as a godly man, that I want to be really, I want to be more and more the man that God has called me to be. And I, I did ask the Lord to, to take stock of me. And I took stock of myself and I asked him to forgive me where, where it was needed. And I want to be more the man of God. And so I, um, I needed that week off not to, to be with my family. I needed it to be with you, my family. I needed it to reflect upon what a wonderful privilege it is to come to church. What a wonderful privilege it is to sit beside someone you, you love or, or however it is that you come to church and to, to allow God for this hour to just minister to your heart through the music and through the message. And so I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank every one of you for allowing me to be a part of this, this particular church and to be a part of what God is doing within our lives. I just want to add this to our prayer, and I want to pray in a moment for our country and for those who lost loved ones some 10 years ago. And Their lives will never be the same. Some young people grew up without a, a father or a mother, without an aunt or an uncle, without a brother or a sister. Families grew up without a son or daughter. You know... You know just as well as I do how tender you can, that can be to, to lose someone that abruptly, you know. It's, it kind of goes to, to who I am. It's why I, I like to tell people I love them all the time. I want to tell you I love you. I want to. I want to tell you that I love you because I don't know that I'll see you next week. I don't know. And I don't want to put off for tomorrow what I can do today. And that is to say I love you so much. And I thank you for being a part of my life and allowing me to be a part of yours. I do not take it flippantly to be the pastor of this church and to, to study and teach the Word of God. And so I want to tell you that I love you. And I want to pray for our country. I don't know where it's going, neither do you. But I do know this. Today's message is like a, a message that ought to be preached in a stadium and it ought to be preached to people that don't know the Lord. For the most part, you people know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I, I recognize you. I see you almost every week, most of you. I know right about where you sit. And I love you so much. But this is a message that ought to be preached in a stadium to a bunch of people that don't know our Savior. It ought to shake them to their very core. And so I'm going to preach it in that fashion. But also going to preach it to you and me, those of us that know the Lord, and try to 
shake you and me to be the man, the woman, the person that God has called us to be? Do you know his will for you? Do you know where he wants you to go? What he wants you to do with your life? I've begged in you for, for years now, find out, find out, somehow, some way, find out what is it that God has called you to do on this earth other than just to, to take in air and to fulfill a job. What has he called you to do? Find that call, find that blessing, and live out the rest of our lives so as to tell people about the, the wonders of our Savior so that you would have the privilege of knowing your whole immediate family knows and walks with the Lord. I long for you for that. So I don't know where we're going to go as a nation. Who does? But I do know this. We can impact our community. We can impact our families. We can impact our own lives with what we learn out of this, the wonderful Word of God. And uh, whoever preaches here at this church will preach to you the Word. Now, yesterday evening, I, I found out that uh, those of you that remember the gentleman that spoke to us, Louis Panino, well, Louis Panino, who has cancer and is dying, was um, taken to the hospital, and he was incoherent yesterday, and so I don't know how much longer um, he has. So while we are praying, I would appreciate your prayers for his family and for him. But I'd like to pray for, for the people who lost loved ones uh, some 10 years ago at, at the, the bombing of the, or actually the planes flying into the Twin Towers in New York and what happened in Washington, D.C., as well as into Pennsylvania on that dreadful day 10 years ago. What has driven people to hate one another so much? What has driven people to hate? We need to be the people that give the love of Jesus Christ out to everyone and all that we can. So would you please pray with me, just not necessarily for the message, but for those who were affected so deeply by... 9-11 some time ago. Dear Father, we want to pray. We want to pray for our country, the United States of America. God bless it. But as it was said on that video, we need to be a people who humble ourselves, who seek your face, who confess our sins so that you might truly heal our land. I want to pray for those, Father, the victims of, of that terrible terrorist uh, involvement some 10 years ago, 9-11, the year 2001. For the families who are now without a loved one for this 10 years. For the wonderful firemen and policemen and armed force people who, who rushed towards that dreadful scene instead of running away from it, as so many did. Try to help others. Father, I pray that you will bless the families and you will bless them all, but most importantly, you will bless this country of ours. May we be able to, Father, if you tarry and do not come quickly, that we would be able to leave this country into good hands and to be able to leave it, Father, as, as wonderfully as we found it when we came here, when we were born for our loved ones, for our, 
our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren. Father, would you please bless the United States of America, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It's really appropriate. Uh, put up the title for me, Brian. Thanks so much. I don't think far ahead. You need to know this. And I don't think of clever. I, I never want to pick out what is going to be the, the title of the message. I, I detest doing that. And I picked this out, and it was Shelley that called me, and she said, Isn't it interesting that you have entitled this message, All Hell Breaks Loose, and we're in Revelation 9, 1, 11. It's very interesting how God seems to move us here at this church. The appropriateness of this, this title, All Hell Breaks Loose, was, is exactly what some people felt about ten years ago. But these three woes that we that we read about two weeks ago when I met with you last in chapter 8 and verse 13. Remember when John looked up and he saw in the mid-heaven an eagle? An eagle flying and an eagle shouting out these words, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. These three woes that, that are found in chapter 8 and move us into chapter 9 mark the deepest, most pace, painful intensity of the great tribulation period ever. What the people experienced on 9-11 in New York and in Washington DC and Pennsylvania and, and around this, this great nation of ours is nothing, nothing compared to what we are going to read in a moment out of chapter 9. It pales in comparison. These three woes that are found in chapter 8 verse 13 mark the intensity of a a great, great tribulation period. They are generally associated, these three woes, with, with Daniel's 70th week. It's the last three and a half years of the tribulation, which is called the Great Tribulation Period and is considered to be the most dreadful day and days in human history. The last time we were together in chapter 8, we saw God placed a judgment upon verse 7, the earth, verse 8, the sea, and also the, uh, the waters, the, uh, what is, you know, the drinkable waters, the fresh water, and the heavens in verse 9 in chapter 8. And what I taught last when I met with you is, from now on the wrath of God is going to fall upon all who dwell upon the earth. And that's what is said in in chapter 8, verse 13, the eagle cried out, Woe, 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 upon all who dwell upon the earth. And we were taught in chapter 6, verse 10. Take, turn back there, just for a moment. I hope you're in the Bibles, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 9. But turn back to chapter 6. Remind yourself. In verse 9, when the, when the Lord broke the fifth seal, John said, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, because of the testimony which they had maintained. These were the people who were on the earth during the tribulation period. They were martyred for their faith. And now they are in heaven itself, sitting, standing before the throne of God. And I believe now, more than ever before, that you and I, we will not go through this tribulation period. We will be in heaven by what is, is said as we go through this study. So look at verse 10. They, these people who were, have been slain, martyred because of the word of God, 
And because of the testimony they maintained, they cried out with a loud voice to our God. And they said, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood upon those who dwell upon the earth? And so we realize that those who dwell upon the earth, that is mentioned in chapter 8, verse 13, and here 6, verse 10, are those who foolishly rejected God's grace. And so they martyred those who accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior during the tribulation period. Well, now it gets worse. Now the very pit of hell itself is opened up. And Satan and his demons are loosed upon the earth, upon those who now dwell upon the earth. And Satan, knowing that his time is running out, pours out his wrath with Greater vengeance than ever before. I want you to see this. Look at chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. And look at the verse 12. It says, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. You see, those who are in heaven, we rejoice. But it is written, for those who are on the earth, it is a different story. Woe, it says in verse 12, of chapter 12, woe to the earth and to the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath knowing, knowing now, note, that he has only a short time. And so he is going to pour out his vengeance upon the earth. Now read with me Revelation chapter 9 verses 1 to 11 and shudder. This is a terrible place in Scripture. Verse 1 of chapter 9, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth. Power was given to them as the scorpion of the earth have power. They were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any, green three, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment, torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death will flee from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of a woman, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. Verse 9, they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing into battle. And they have tails like scorpions and, and stings. And their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. And they have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. We'll see what that means in a moment. Let's pray. Father, please, would you open up our eyes, our hearts, so that we might behold Wonderful things that are written within your word. Would you teach us, Father? Would you please move me aside? 
so that I would not hamper what you want to say to each of us individually, each of us as we come here, Father, to hear from your heart, may we hear. And so I ask that you would move me aside. Do not let me interfere with what you want to do with each and every single one of us who is here. Bless us, comfort us, convict us, whatever it is you wish. Father, may we be your servant. And so, Father, would you please bless this great country of ours. Would you watch over Louis Polino, any of our, of our people, of, of our congregation who might be hurting right now. Would you bless each and every single one of them, please? And Father, would you also allow us to bless you? May we serve you this, this remaining period of time, not only during this service, but while we are here on this earth. Bless us, please, Father. May we bless you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, the, the trumpet judgments are terrible. And we've still got seven more to go, the, the bold judgments. But these are terrible. The fifth trumpet sounds and hell itself is opened up. And out of hell comes creatures called locusts. John, John finds them very difficult to, to describe. But they bring to mankind severe plagues. They torture people everywhere. And they torture them without bringing forth death. People, as we just read, Long to die, but they can't. They just are tortured for five months. Five months. You know, the Lord warned all of us of this time. I mean, throughout the Old Testament as well as the New. He, he said these days were going to come. He gave people warning to trust and believe in Him. If you want to, you can turn to Joel. I'm going to read to you out of something I don't normally do. I'm just going to read to you out of the book of Joel from verses 1 to 13, chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel is kind of to the right of the middle. You get to Psalms. It's a small book written somewhere off to the right. You'll, if you don't find it, you can just kind of listen. But Joel spoke of this time in comparison to what is being said in Revelation chapter 9. Joel writes, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near, Joel wrote. He says in verse 2, A day of darkness and gloom. It is a day of clouds and thick darkness as the dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it before, nor will there be anything after it. Verse 3, he says, A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, like war horses. So they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on tops of the mountains, like a crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble. Like a mighty people arranged for battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. Their faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers. They each march in line, nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. 
Before them the earth quakes and the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Verses 11, 12, and 13 talks about our Lord. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rent your hearts, not your garments. In other words, he is saying, be real. Let it be a heart issue. Rent your heart, not your garments. And return to the Lord your God, because He is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Note the similarities between Joel chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 8 and 9. Thick clouds fill the sky, appearance like horses, swift horses. They make noises like a chariot. They are dressed in battle attire. They leave people in anguish. Before them, it says, the earth trembles and the heavens quake. Other way around. The earth quakes and the heavens tremble. The sun, the moon, the stars lose their brightness. In both Joel chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 8, Joel calls this time, just as John does, the coming day of the Lord. And so we are warned you and me, we are warned of the coming day of the Lord. It is near. We need to prepare ourselves and be ready. If you come back with me to Revelation chapter 9 and look at verse 1 again, I, I, I know there's differing views. This, some say that this could be Jesus who has the key of the fallen star, and uh, others say it could be an angel. And, but the commentaries I've read, it, it, it is pretty certain to me that it is Satan himself. This fallen star in verse 1 is Satan. You, you note the word in verse 1 at the end. This star is identified by the personal pronoun him, indicating it is at least someone real. Verse 1, the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. This is someone who is real. We also see that this one is called, in verse 11, the king and also the angel of the abyss. His name means, in Hebrew, Abaddon. That means the destruction. The name in Greek is Apollyon. That means he is the destroyer. And so we see that this destructive angel, or star, or, verse 1, or king, in verse 11 of, of the pit, is the one who's come out of this bottomless pit. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but He cast them into hell and committed them into pits of darkness reserved for judgment. In verse 1, Satan fell from or out of heaven to earth, which indicates this one who fell had a moral failure. Jude 6, one, only one chapter in Jude. Jude verse 6 says this, Angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, God has kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Well, we are there. We are now reading about it. We are looking at it. If it is in our lifetime, this is a terrible and dreadful day. Even if it isn't in our lifetime, it is a terrible and dreadful day. That's why you have to 
come to know the Lord. That's why you need to walk with Him and, and share the wonders of your Savior with your family so that if the Lord doesn't come in our generation for our grandchildren and their children would come to know and trust and believe in Christ because of the heritage you and I can leave them as believers. So what we can surmise out of verse 1 is that this fallen star, or verse 11, this destructive angel fell from his original position to become the leader of the demons. We also see that he has set his goal, and his goal is to stop or thwart the plans of God. Why? Why? Why so evil? What was his reasoning? What what, what, what did he accomplish by doing this? Do you know the sin of Satan, why he fell? I'll show it to you. This time I want you to find the book of Isaiah. Turn to the middle of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, and now turn to your right, and you'll go past Proverbs and Song of Solomon, and I think right after Song of Solomon is Isaiah. Yes, Isaiah chapter 14. Would you please turn there with me? I want you to read What is the problem? What happened that made this one that is called Lucifer fall from heaven? His original position. And become the leader of a third of the angels who fell with him. In Isaiah chapter 14, starting with verse 12, we see this fallen one exposed. And we see what his sin is. Verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth, you who have weakened the nations. Here's his problem, verse 13 and 14. But you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. Here it is. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, we are told in verse 15, you, Satan, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Verse 16 and 17 tells us, those who see you will gaze at you and they will ponder over you, saying this, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Is he the one who shook the kingdoms? Verse 17. Is it he who made the world like a wilderness? Is it he who overthrew its cities and did not allow his prisoners to go home? Mark that. Did not allow his prisoners to go home. While you're here in Isaiah, since you're halfway there, turn to the front of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, please. Genesis chapters 2 and 3. While you're turning there, I want you to know what you already know. And there is this. There is but one God to worship. You and I cannot ever become like Him. That is not our goal. Our goal is to serve Him, not to become like Him. Well, we're to be conformed into His image. But you and I cannot become, quote-unquote, a God in any fashion or in any way. The Lord God will not allow it. I want to take, take heed any who are investigating some other ways to God, like a cult. If you're listening on a CD or someone who's not here in our congregation, but you're investigating all about these religions. And I heard a wonderful thing this week. A 
an old friend called from Virginia, of all places, and said, I hadn't talked to you in a long time. I wanted to say hi, and it's been years. And he went on to tell me, he said, can you send me your testimony tape? I said, sure. I said, why? He says, I've worn it out. I had one, and I've worn it out. He says, I play it to anyone, and I give it to anyone who will, who will take it. So I went in one day to a cigar store. I didn't even know they had such a thing. They have cigar stores. He went into a cigar store, he told me. And he started talking religion with the guy that owned the store. And he brought back his Bible the other day to, to visit with him after that. And they started a Bible study. And now there's grown to about 20 people in this cigar store. And what they do is they listen to my tape. Everyone has to listen to that silly tape. And then, I guess it's CD. And then they, they, they listen to me online, they listen to us online, and they study the Bible together. And for those of you who are listening, let me tell you something. Take heed if you're investigating other ways to God. There is but one way. God does not allow Satan to take over your life. Come to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, I say, to any and all who are listening. As we just read out of Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 17, do not allow Satan to keep you a prisoner, keeping you from your true home, which is in heaven. This illusion of trying to be a God began long before Isaiah. It began in the very beginning. I ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you look up in chapter 2 with me for a moment, Genesis chapter 2, let me find it real quickly. God said to Adam in verse 16, I want you to take care of this garden. And he says in verse 16, From any tree of the garden you can freely eat, enjoy. But he says in verse 17, From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Don't eat of it. Because the day that you eat from it you shall what? You shall surely die. Well, soon thereafter, Satan came upon the woman in the garden and asked her a very simple but, but very leading question. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? He knew better. Well, the woman said to the serpent, No, 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 no. From the fruit of the trees of the garden, we can eat. But from that, from that tree which is in the middle of the garden, that, that, that tree of, uh, of good and evil, uh -uh. God says you should not eat from it nor touch it lest you die. Now he didn't say lest you die. He said you will what? Surely die spiritually. We learned that before when we studied and going through family relations and husband and wife relationships. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. Because, verse 5, God knows that in the day you eat from this, your eyes are going to be open and you will be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. What are you saying is, wake up, woman. Experience life, woman. Don't let God tell you what you can and cannot eat, what you can and cannot do. Make up your own mind. You, you're wise enough. You're... You're smart enough to make your own judgment about what is good in life and what is not. You become your own 
God. Listen, if you ever hear that voice talking to you, shun it immediately. Get away from that voice because it is Satan trying to deceive you into becoming what you were never meant to be, and that is a God. You know, we are to worship our God. And so I beg of you, I beg of you from the very depth of my soul, find out what God's will is for your life, for your life, your life, your life, yours, yours, and yours. Find it out. And once you find out what God wants from your life, then pursue it with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. What he wants from all of us is to love him. What he wants from all of us is to worship him. And he wants us to share this love that we have in our hearts with others. But what is it, your purpose in life? Why do you go to work in the morning? Why do you draw breath? I beg of you to try to find this out. We, we did a series on knowing God's will. It's, it's online. Look for it if you don't understand it. But listen, knowing God's will is quite simple. You, you'll know God's will once you start to understand what the Bible has to say. And He'll reveal His will to you. I'm, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer here. But I know God's will for my life. I know what he's asked of me. I know what he wants me to do. It's easy for me to understand my purpose in life. Find it out. Find it out so that you might have the joy of your salvation, the very essence of why you draw breath. Satan wants you and me to be distracted. He wants us to think that we can become like God. That That was his sin and that's what put him into the very pit, him and a third of the angels who fell with him. But now he knows here, back in Revelation chapter 9, he knows now that his time is short. Remember, twelve, chapter 12, verse 12. He knows he only has a short time left. He knows that one day it's all going to end for him. And Jesus shall cast him, his demons, and and every single person who refuses to come to Christ, he will cast them into hell. When we get to chapter 20, we'll see this. Verses 10, verses 14 and 15. Listen while I read. It says, The devil, verse 10 of chapter 20 of Revelation, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Verse 14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, it says, is the second death. And it says in verse 15, If anyone, not, not talking now about, the, about Satan or the beast or the false prophet, but if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, that person will also be thrown into the lake of fire. For now, we see that this fallen star in chapter 9 and verse 1 was given some power. It was given to him a key to the bottomless pit. But we learned that these keys really belong to the Lord. One of my favorite of all the verses that we've been studying out of the book of Revelation was found in chapter 1. Let's, let's review just for a moment. Turn back with me to chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. Look with me at the 18th verse. It's one of the great verses. 
Jesus Christ makes this statement, I am, that is, I am God. I am the living one. I love that statement. I was dead, he says, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. As Jesus Christ is the only one who controls both death and Hades, Yet here he hands the key over to Satan to unleash a host of demons and to pour out this terrible wrath upon the earth. This wrath for five months that they will sting people, as John assumes, with this terrible pain and people will want to die, but they can't. One that was so interesting about this is he hands over the key to Satan to unleash the host of demons. You know what's so interesting? Listen... As always, God uses others, in this case, Satan, to accomplish his goal, his plan, his purpose. Nothing, no one can stop God's plan for your life. The truth is, you and I either work alongside of our Lord and therefore accomplish his will and get his blessings, or we go against God. And receive the wrath. Nevertheless, both scenarios, whether we go with him or not, ultimately God will accomplish his will. Yet through God's way, our trying and our living alongside and trying by the grace of God to follow the will of God, as you understand it for your life, you will receive blessings beyond your wildest dream. If God is saying something to you, seek after it. Find out what it is with all of your heart. Because the blessings will come to you so abundantly beyond that. I am a testimony to that. I am a testimony to it. You people love me. Forgive me if this sounds too bold, but you love me so much. You make me feel so much a part of life. Where would I ever receive this kind of a a feeling other than serving the Lord and trying to accomplish His will. And you folks have, you have blessed me. God has used you to bless me beyond your wildest imagination. He doesn't just want to bless me. He wants to bless every single one of us if we would just find out what is His will for us. What is His, what is his desire in your heart? What does He want you to accomplish? And go for it. Accomplish it. As I sat here last Sunday with my wife and looked at my son-in-law and my daughter and then recognized and realized that my family are saved, I thought, God, how kind can you be? What more can anyone ask? Accomplishing God's will in your life will, will be blessings that you have no idea. But not to listen to Him and to go your way He'll still accomplish his goal. He just won't use you. He just won't bless you. Let me close with this thought. This bottomless pit that we were looking at here in, in chapter 9, it's a place of great torment. It's a place of darkness. It's, it's a place of eternal fire, it is said. It is a place of great despair and great loneliness. It is a place that the torment lasts forever and ever. No one in their right mind 
should long to go there. Now I heard a, I listened to certain things on, on, on television because when I was a few years back, when I, when I wasn't in, in, in church ministry like this, I did ministry with athletes. So I, I knew what it was like to be out there kind of in the world, so to speak, because I, I heard what goes on in the locker room and all of that. But I'm kind of separated from all of that now. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I'm, I hang around with you wonderful Christians all the time, you know. But I listen to programs that kind of, kind of tell me, force me into th- thinking, how, how is the world thinking right now? Because I want to know. I listened to one guy on television that I, I, I promise you I'd love to meet someday. I'd love to meet him. He is so lost. I heard him one time say, uh, if, if, if I had a chance to go to heaven, I ain't going to heaven because I don't like all these Christians. He said, I'd rather hang around with my friends. And his ignorance was just amazing, just amazing ignorance of what it really means to, to die apart from God and not to believe. He has no idea what is written in here, but he also thinks this is nothing but a fairy tale. And so he says he would long to go to hell. And I thought to myself, you have no idea what you're saying. No one in their right mind would want to go to hell. Yet to refuse Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord is to choose to go there. Listen, please listen. You are not sent there by God. He has given you every single opportunity in the world to live for Him, to know Him and to love Him. No, in reality, if a person goes to hell, it's because they choose to go there on their own. Jesus Christ does not send people to hell. It is a place for those who go there because of their own foolish choice, because they refused to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and the Word of God. They refuse. And so I pray for you. Not Well, if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray for you to come to trust in Him. There is no other way. We can't say it. We can't make it palatable for you and say, there are other ways. Just be patient and you'll find the way. No, you've heard the way. Now you need to respond to that. For those of us who know Him, what is God's will for you? What does He want from you? What is the purpose for your life? Why do you live? Just don't come to church and just take it all in and then go. Last week after Rob was through with his message, I, I went to him and I said, thanks, that was awesome. I said, if you had an altar call, I would have run up here. Because during the message, I was being convicted left and right understanding that I'm really not the man of God that I want to be. I'm telling you, what a privilege it is you have to sit and listen. I recognized that I was not the man that God wanted me to be at that point in time, and so I asked him to forgive me, and I wanted to rededicate my life to be that man of God that he's called me to be. And so now you've got, I took a week off, and now you've got double passion. I'm on steroids in my passion. I want you to know and to love the Lord. I want us to do that. I want you to sit beside your family in church and know that they all trust and believe, or at least, at least you've given them the opportunity. 
to know and love your Savior. And your life exemplifies that fact that, that when they see you, they recognize something's different in your life. And that your words then will not be hollow. I want us to be a church that affects our own immediate families and others that we might come in contact with. And if God so desires this nation in which we live. But right now, and I do not mean politically, right now I have no real strong hope. But what are we becoming? Unless you and I catch the vision and we do it person by person within our own homes, in our own families, and it reaches out there, I have hope. I have hope for you. I have hope for you. I have hope for me. Father, we look at what these people are going to go through and we just, if it doesn't make us shudder, I don't know what's wrong with us. I don't know when you're coming back. We don't know, Father. Only you know that. It could be tonight. It could be thousands of years from now. We don't know. But if it is in our lifetime, Father, we need to be a people who forewarned our loved ones. And even if it's not in our lifetime, we can forewarn our loved ones so that as my wife and I sat back there and looked with, with grace upon your kindness to our grandkids to realize that when they get married... Hopefully they will marry a believer and they will be able to tell their children. And so it goes on and on. We can affect our world. And so, Father, I pray that each of us would seek sternly, understand, know, what is your will? What do you desire of us? Why am I alive today? Is it purely to come to church and then just go my way? Or is it that we might affect this world in which we live somehow, some way? Bless us, please, Father. No, more. Let us bless you. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Have I ever told you how much I love you? I love you with all my heart. God bless you. Thanks for being here. God bless you. Thank you so much.